Hey, everybody. Uh, we are going back on the road for 2018, and we are super excited because we're going to be doing brand new material, which we are certainly glad for. And if you live in oh, Denver or Cleveland or St. Louis or Boston or Washington, D.C., then you can come see us. Yes, you can come see us. Specifically, if you're in Boston, we're going to be at the Wilbur Theater on April 4th. And then the next night on April 5th, we're going to be in D.C. at the beloved Lincoln Theater. We love those two places, don't we, Chuck? We sure do. And then on the 22nd of May, we're going to be in St. Louis, Missouri for the first time ever at the pageant. And then another first for us is the next night, May 23rd, we're going to be in Cleveland, Ohio at the Ohio Theater, dude. I'm very excited about both Cleveland and St. Louis because we wanted to add some new shows. We get a lot of support in Ohio that we know for sure and got family there and I just can't wait. But wait, wait, there's there's more. We're going back to the Gothic Theater in Englewood, Colorado, a.k.a. right outside Denver. We're going to be there June 28th, uh, and it's going to be nuts. We're going to have a great time at all these. So we want you to come see us. You can go to thewilbur.com. You can go to Ticketfly for the D.C. show. You can go to Ticketmaster for the St. Louis show. Search us on playhousesquare.org for the Ohio Theater Cleveland show. And then lastly, AXS.com to search for us at the Gothic Theater. And we will see you guys very soon. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry Rowland. And this is stuff you should know. Because you put the three of us together, roll us up in a, a paper, <laughs> add a match to the mix, you've got one great podcast. Or mm-hmm. throw us all in a snifter. Okay. Swirl us around. <laughs> and then we're a, uh, an aperitif. That's nice. And why not just... Why Why decide? Why choose one over the other, right? Because then we would kill each other in a car. <laughs> yeah, we would. We would. Well, let's start. Let's start legitimately here, Chuck. First of all, how are you? Great. Good. Okay, I am too. But let's start even more legitimately than that. Let's get in the Wayback Machine, okay? I'm, oh. I'm, I, I live in this thing. <laughs> no. Emily kicked me out, so I've been I've been living in the Wayback Machine for a few it's, weeks now. It's with your dog. Huh? Just one it's, of them, though. She only gave me one of the dogs. It's kind of gamey in here, you know. It is. Um, okay, well, we're in Chuck's repurposed oh. Wayback <laughs> Machine. And we're just going, just for a second, Chuck, we're going back to 2014. Great. And we're going to uh, go to New York City, and we're going to buy a New Yorker magazine. Okay, and now we can go back to 2018. Okay, and we're going to flip open this New Yorker magazine. And, oh, look, Chuck, it's an interview with then-President Barack Obama. Do you remember him? I do. So in 2014, Obama gave this interview to New Yorker, and he, he really kind of created a bit of a stir. I mean, he, since he first ran in 2008, everybody knew he smoked pot. There were pictures of it. Like, he never... He never denied it. He admitted to smoking pot. But this interview in 2014 really just changed things because in it, Obama said that he did not believe that his pot smoking was anything really worse than his, his bad cigarette habit and that he he doesn't think 
We didn't think that it was more dangerous than alcohol. Right. Which is really saying something because, I mean, like, you know, as teenagers have been saying for decades and decades now, it's crazy that something like alcohol can be bought, like, at any corner store, at drug stores in some states. Yeah, um, grocery stores. And and that, like, you can drink it as long as you're 21 and get in your car and drive up to a certain limit. But pod is totally illegal in most states still. Um, and Obama was saying, kind of throwing down the gauntlet, saying, you know, I, I don't, in a very roundabout way, he was saying, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily right, that pot should be illegal and you should be able to buy alcohol anywhere because pot's not as bad as booze. Yeah, which was, uh, man, times have really changed. In our, you know, in the past like 20 years, because I remember when Clinton, uh, it was such a scandal uh-huh. that he had inhaled and, and no, uh, he didn't inhale. Remember? Well, he, the, the thing came out and he said, well, I tried to and I couldn't. He and was such the a, whole, just a liar. <laughs> man. Whole, well, who knows? That may have been true. I just think my reaction was, oh, well, that just means you're super lame. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're doing, Bill. Um, but it was just such a scandal. And then, uh, I mean, here we are now where, you know, uh, state after state is, re- is legalizing recreational marijuana. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is really interesting to see that change happen. Not even like medicinal marijuana anymore. That was like the gateway legislation. Now it's like straight up, you want to smoke pot to get high just for fun? You can do that. And let's see, Chuck. So it started with, um, Washington and, um, Colorado, right? I think. Were they the first two? They were. Okay. Back in 2014. And just since 2014, you've now got Oregon, California, Vermont, uh, Washington, D.C., Nevada, Massachusetts, Maine, Alaska, and Washington State. Well, Washington I said State Washington was the first, State. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, it was the state so nice, <laughs> I said it twice. Or maybe they just super, like, like when you, uh, you reaffirm your wedding vows. Mm-hmm. Maybe they doubled down a few years later and said, this is so great. We just want to like legalize it again. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think they did do that in Washington. We were there recently for live shows and I can tell you they definitely renewed their vows with pot. Yeah. We were in San Francisco, uh, Colorado, or uh, we're going to be in Colorado and then Washington and Oregon. So, mm-hmm. and we're going to Massachusetts. Uh, yeah. I guess we just need to hit Nevada. And mm-hmm. we're going to D.C. Yeah. Nevada, we, Maine, and Alaska, and it will be the Stuff You Should Know Up and Smoke Tour. <laughs> we need T-shirts for that one. Not that we would ever do that. No, no, but we could still make T-shirts that suggest it. Yeah, and my funny joke on stage in San Francisco, we were there literally the weekend that the first recreational pot shops opened. And the joke was San Francisco day after exactly like San Francisco was the day before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no change. That killed. Yeah, it was all right. Uh, they loved it. So the upshot of all of this is that with all these states like legalizing marijuana, it, the comparison between pot and alcohol has kind of become less of a like a stoner conversation. Like it's actually <laughs> a, a, a legitimate academic discussion nowadays. It has to be. There's a lot of different things that come into play. Before it was kind of like, well, ultimately it doesn't matter because Uncle Sam, well, actually Tricky Dick says that it's illegal. So it's illegal. So it doesn't really matter if it's worse for you or not. It's, right. it's way worse to be put into jail 
um, than it is to, to be tipsy off of alcohol and maybe risk cirrhosis of the liver, right? Yes. So that ended all conversations there. But as that, as that conversation ender has kind of fallen away, the conversations kind of opened up. So I guess what we're doing here today is doing the best we can at putting the conversation to rest, even though now that we've dived into it, we've seen that um, the conversation is very far from being put to rest. Yeah, and this one's going to – there are a lot of stats. Uh, it's a very stat-heavy episode, which is fun. But mm-hmm. um, the first thing we should point out is that in terms of marijuana, because it was illegal, there hasn't been a lot of funding thrown at studies over the years because, like you said, it's like, why bother? It's illegal. We're not going to put our resources towards studying it. Right. Now they kind of have to. But the long and short of it is we we are still and will be for many years gathering data on what pot does to the body, uh, how dangerous it is. Uh, but early results uh, clearly indicate, at least in the short term, and we're going to run the gamut here, but in the short term, you can start a night out having fun drinking mm-hmm. and end up dead hours later just from the alcohol. Yeah. I'm not saying by getting in a car or jumping off a building. Yeah. Like all those things can happen too. But you can drink yourself to death in hours. Yeah. There, there, so the CDC put out like a very famous statistic now um, that said that every year in the United States, about 88,000 people die from alcohol every year. And that's all alcohol-related deaths, like liver disease, car crashes, right. all of that. But about half of those are from binge drinking. Yeah. Which is drinking usually for men about five or more drinks and for women I think it's like three or more drinks within two hours or something like that. And then and then going on. And once you start to get to that point, you start to run an increasing uh risk of alcohol poisoning. Yeah, I mean it's it, you your body cannot process alcohol fast enough. Like you can you can drink past that amount, like I said, such that I mean, you hear sad stories about the the kid in college mm-hmm. who who literally died from drinking one night. Yep. Uh, that cannot be said of marijuana. Um, well, it depends. Well, <laughs> no, it doesn't depend. No, it does. I think it's literally impossible to consume as much marijuana as you would have to consume over a period of hours to die from it. Okay, yes, yes, absolutely. You're right, you're right. It doesn't depend. That's, that's true. Like, and there's a lot of people who... Uh, point to that statistic where they basically say 88,000 people die a year um, from alcohol, zero people die a year from marijuana. That's not necessarily true. But if you're talking about overdosing, yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like people don't overdose and die from marijuana. Many many have tried. Sure. (laughs) Especially Cheech and Chong. But they the, the amount of THC you would have to ingest is so... Um, so much more than you could possibly take under normal circumstances that you're just not going to. So like. Yeah, what are to, the numbers here? To figure this out, well, you're stat man, but I just want to set up that we used high times as a source for this episode. <laughs> Cause we're like, okay, so how much, how much THC is in pot and how much does that break down to depending on whether you smoke a bowl or smoke a joint or eat an edible? And we said, well, who would know more than anyone else? And it turns out it's high times. Yeah. So here's the thing with pot too. It really varies according to who you are, how much you typically ingest, how strong the pot is. Mm-hmm. But, 
Uh, are we going to go with this? these numbers here, 18% THC? Which I think is fairly average these days, which is super high, but that's normal. That's a normal amount okay. in pot, I think. Uh, you, you, that's about 180 milligrams per gram of marijuana. Right. And if people don't know, THC is the, the active ingredient that gets you high in the marijuana plant. Yeah. And De- what is it? Delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol. Oh, you just read the tattoo on your forearm. Yeah. <laughs> it's misspelled as you can see. I always wonder what that was. Uh, here's the thing though. You lose THC when it's burned about 60%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trust me, uh, marijuana users have tried to lower that number um, as much as possible over the years. And, and to some success, like supposedly with the vaporizer, you lose a lot less because you're not actually burning the THC, right? Yeah, I mean, there are all manner of ways to ingest marijuana now, um, partially because of – I mean, there always were, <laughs> but partially because of this recreational um, – and I always wondered what that would look like if it was legalized because – you know, I've been to Amsterdam and stuff, and I thought, well, is it going to be like that, where you have marijuana in jars and like a, a – they call them bud tenders, which is so stupid. That is stupid. Uh, or I thought, well, no, it's America. I bet you anything is going to be like a cigarette pack that's highly manufactured but just joints. And it turns out it's uh, it's sort of not either. I mean, it's, it's very on the up and up. Like I, I've been into one of those stores just to look around, and it's – um, it's like visiting a, any coffee or tea shop. You know, it's all <clears throat> very. It's, it's not just dudes with with a bag that they throw into another bag. Right. You know, they pull it out of their sock. <laughs> I guess so. It's, I guess it's my way of saying it's um, the recreational pot shops that I've seen have been very professional and everything is very packaged and and, and it's just like right. any other commodity. So, did you walk in and go, "Are you are you the bud tender?" I'm from I'm from Hotlanta. I'm doing a, a story for a podcast. So so okay. So depending on how you ingest the pot, right? Especially whether you're burning it or not, you're going to lose some THC. But if you burn it, you lose about sixty percent. So if you have a uh, hundred and eighty milligram per gram THC, it's suddenly down to what seventy two milligrams per gram. Okay. And if you're smoking a half a gram joint, let's say you're even smoking a one gram joint. Okay. And you're getting 72 milligrams of THC from that joint. You're still immensely shy and and on the level of orders of magnitude different um, of how much it would take to overdose on on THC. Yeah, I mean, I think the number in here is a minimum of like 150 joints you would have to smoke by yourself over a very short period of time. Yeah, because so you're you're getting 72 milligrams in that joint of THC, but it would take something like at least 15 grams of THC to to overdose. So yes, you would have to smoke <laughs> hundreds of joints <laughs> in basically a day to start to build up enough THC in your bloodstream that you overdosed fatally. From. I'm trying to picture the study, like the being behind the one way glass and the guy being like, how many is this? And they're like, 110. And he's like, I can't do it anymore. Like, that's you why you would to. not overdose. There's just no way. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine you'd fall asleep or get bored or forget what you were doing or whatever. I think it'd be more likely that you would have to eat like, a triple layer cake made entirely of 
marijuana. So I'm glad you said that because that definitely edibles are different and they're different in a couple of ways. One way they're different is that they don't burn. You're not burning the THC. So you're not necessarily losing a bunch of it. Right. You also can eat more of it than, say, you're smoking of it of, as far as THC is concerned. Yeah. So you can still, you can definitely increase like how much, um, how much THC you're getting by eating it rather than smoking it. But the other thing about edibles is that you actually, your body does something differently with them. And that is that when you're smoking marijuana, you're introducing THC in its normal form from your lungs to your heart to your brain. THC can cross that blood-brain barrier, but, you know, it's not the greatest at it. It's kind of hit or miss, right? When you ingest THC, where you eat it like an edible, it goes through your digestive system, and that THC is metabolized. It's broken down into the um, by the liver and then set into the bloodstream. Well, what, what the metabolized version does is it's much better at crossing the blood-brain barrier. So you get a, a much more powerful high from eating an edible, and you get a higher dose of THC, even though it's this THC metabolite. So eating edibles is different, and it is possible that it would bring you closer, statistically speaking, increase your risk of of coming near a fatal dose of THC. But again, still, like, the the amount you would have to eat is is ridiculously high. Yeah, and I think most of the cases of, um, since recreational has been introduced, of, oh, my God, I have to go to the emergency room, have been people that ate too too much pot. Yeah. And and also the other one of the other big problems with edibles, well there's two of them. One is that people eat too much because it takes like hours to, to kick in. Right. And they're like, "Oh, I'm not feeling anything. Let me have four more." Yeah, which is a real problem with those things. And then secondly, also kids tend to get into edibles more than they, you know, find your your pot and roll a joint, which is dangerous because they have lower body mass and and I would I mean, their fatal dose or uh, whatever could cause them health problems is much, it's a much lower threshold for a small kid. You yeah, know? for sure. Which is, you know, scary. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. Um, all right. Well, so we've covered the OD aspect. Well, do you want to take a break? All right. Let's take a break. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try to decide. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come uh, right back after this. All right. All right, so we covered the OD thing, like I said before the break. Um, I feel like that's settled now. <laughs> it's settled law. So um, the, the here's the other thing with alcohol is that the way it reacts and interacts with other drugs is significantly uh, more different than marijuana. Um, mm-hmm. Most people know this, but that's why they, on your prescription bottles, they say things like, don't drink uh, when you take this. Because depending on what the drug is, um, whether it's painkillers or... Um, meds for your mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, you can either end up having a higher dose of that or a lower dose, depending on what it is, how much you've had to drink. And that's always scary because we've seen all over the place people accidentally overdosing by combining uh, prescription drugs and alcohol. 
Yeah. I mean, like, if you get a lower dose and it's medicine you really need. That's, that's bad, too. Sure. That's, yeah, it's just as bad. And it's it's because alcohol is either exciting all of the um, enzymes in your liver and they metabolize the medicine faster than it's designed to be, so you get a big dose, or they hog all of the enzymes and the medicine just kind of passes through your liver un unmetabolized and you don't get the dose you're looking for. Either way, it's not good for you. Yeah, uh, and like this article that uh, you put together points out, though, it is you. we should mention that marijuana, though, can impair your coordination. So there is a risk of, you know, just literally getting hurt because you're uncoordinated. <laughs> yeah. um, you may... You may trip over your coffee table and fall into your couch or your papazon. <laughs> or your lava lamp. <laughs> you know, you don't want to go ahead first into a lava lamp. No. That's, that's bad. Yeah. Um, I know we're making light, but seriously, that, that is a risk. Um, or just your, you know, unprotected sex because your inhibitions are lowered, although what same can be said for alcohol. Yes, that's absolutely true. I'm, and I think this article does say it. It's just in a different spot. But yeah, you're, you're, um, Judgment can be impaired, too, which can lead to all manner of indirect effects, which might seem like, you know, oh, that doesn't count. But actually, they very much do count because you wouldn't have otherwise made those decisions if you hadn't been drunk or stoned. Correct. So they, they count for sure. Yeah. So those are some of the, the short-term health effects from drinking, you know, death. But there's um, long-term ones, too, that, that come on. And this is where the uh, that literature um, – or the lack of literature studying pot like really kind of comes into play because we've been studying alcohol and the effects of alcohol for so long now. We have it pretty well licked that alcohol is really, really bad for you if you drink heavily, but strangely kind of good for you if you drink in moderate amounts. With pot, we just, we just don't, we don't know. There hasn't been enough study. And part of the problem, like you're saying, is it was illegal. And since it was illegal, it was kind of difficult to get your hands on study participants because they, um, you know, didn't want to tell you that they smoked pot and maybe have that go on any kind of permanent record or something. Yeah. I mean, for alcohol, the obvious physical effects, it's tough on your liver and alcoholic uh, liver disease is a real thing <laughs> that can progress from um, early stages fibrosis to eventual liver cancer. Um and they don't really know exactly the the mechanism for why some people can drink heavily well into their old age and not have any liver damage mm -hmm. um, or, you know, maybe some liver damage, but not die of liver cancer. Right. And then other people are at much higher risk. They don't fully get that. I mean, it's just got to be genetics, right? Anytime that so. comes up and they're like, well, you know, we have no idea why these people are subject to it and other people aren't. It's always it's got to be genetics. Yeah, like, well, why no. is Keith Richards alive? <laughs> I don't know. Medical science will never explain that. <laughs> he should totally donate his body to science. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, he really should, actually. It's like a legitimate, jokey yeah. thing to say, but it's true. Mm -hmm. So um, so you've got alcohol messing with your liver. Um, with pot, they're, they're kind of like, okay, well, if you're a chronic pot user, what's what's the problem? And Chron chronic pot user? <laughs> yes. Or chronic pot user? Chronic chronic pot user. <laughs> I think that's the way you would say it. Yeah. So with, with um, a chronic pot user, and it's defined differently, which I think is another thing that kind of makes the, the literature on this, the topic kind of difficult to study, too, is people, I don't think there's a universal, this is what a chronic 
pot user is. I think each study defines it for itself. Yeah. But for a long time, there was some literature that said that smoking pot lowers your sperm count. But almost all of those were from the 70s and 80s. And all of these studies referred to pot as grass. So no one took them seriously <laughs> at all, right? Yeah. But in 2015, there was a Danish study that, that, that really kind of updated the literature. And they found that a, there was a 28% decrease in sperm count among chronic pot smokers. And they define chronic pot smokers as um, men who smoked more than one joint a week, which is that's, that's a lot of people who smoke pot smoke more than one joint a week. Okay. Okay, so they're, they're ha- they have found a decrease in sperm production. That's definitely a thing. All right. Well, there's the, the um, psychological and mental health issues at stake, too. Um, and again, you know, not as much literature as we need. Like this show 10 years from now would be very different, I think. I think, well, we should revisit it 10 years from now. I <laughs> totally agree. Um, so, yeah, even if we retire in five years, we'll come back <laughs> 10 years from now to do the marijuana one-off special. There you go. It's like getting friends back together. That'd be cool. I get to be Rachel. <laughs> oh, you're always Rachel. I know. <laughs> I've got the haircut. Uh, so um, it's funny. The uh, Omnibus podcast did a, an entire mm-hmm. episode on the Rachel. I saw that. <laughs> so with mental health issues, um, for a long time, they weren't really sure whether teenagers who had mental health, uh, health issues smoked pot to deal with it mm-hmm. or maybe um, like something like bipolar doesn't really come on until your mid-teens anyway. Maybe pot could trigger that or depression or something if it is laying dormant inside of you. But recently they have done a little more studying and they do think that it can, um, in your earlier years, exacerbate these uh, mental health disorders. Yeah. If you are uh, like predisposed. Right. Which is uh, that's kind of a significant finding, too, although it makes sense intuitively because like when you are a teenager, your brain is still developing and pot has been shown to to change your cognitive development. So it would make sense that if there's a a biological basis for some mental health issues like depression or bipolar or schizophrenia, that it would it would stand a reason that pot could have some effect on that. And they finally have said, yes, we we generally concede that that pot probably makes mental health or predisposition to mental health issues worse in adolescence, which is is sad and it's significant, too, because at least in the U.S., um, pot use peaks among uh, kids who are age 18. Oh, and then really? it, it starts to taper off or it tapers off fully by the mid 20s in most people. Yeah. So the, 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 the majority of people who smoke pot in the U.S. are teenagers anyway. But these studies are starting to show that the last people who should be smoking pot are teenagers because it, it can affect their brain development, make them less than sharp. Yeah. I wonder about those numbers. Those seem dubious to me. The uh, 18, peak yeah. at 18 and taper off in mid 20. Yeah. And I'm not just thinking of Willie Nelson here. <laughs> he's he's skewing he's, the results. He does skew the results for sure. You have to weight him differently because he smokes a lot of pot. That's what I hear. Um, with pot, obviously, uh, although things are a little bit different these days with, like you said, uh, vaporizing and edibles and stuff like that. But in the olden days when everybody just smoked it, 
um, bronchitis, obviously, and just various um, lung air passage issues is sort of an obvious risk. Um, although they are now thinking that the newest data says that marijuana smoke doesn't affect the body like tobacco smoke does. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea why. No. This just doesn't make sense to them. And they're like, well, they've started to wonder if pot has some sort of protective chemical in it. It just kind of, you know, gives the lungs a glass of milk and tucks them in after it's, <laughs> after it's done being passed through there. Well, yeah, and it's also tough because to do studies, like a, a lot of times people may also smoke cigarettes who smoke marijuana right. uh, regularly. Um and again, with the illegality, it's just it's kind of tough to get good data on this. Yep. And then, Chuck, um, pregnancy is another thing. Uh, you can kind of put pot and um, alcohol head to head with pregnancy. And apparently neither one is particularly good, uh, although go the, the studies have are much clearer on alcohol being bad for uh, pregnant women to drink than pot smoking. But there's again from the CDC. There's a pretty famous statistic that 3.3 million women are at risk in the U.S. of exposing their baby to alcohol. And what they're saying, the point is, is that even if you um, drink just in the few first few weeks of being pregnant, um, it can lead to what's called fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Yeah. Like cognitive, behavioral, physical development disorders from drinking alcohol while you're pregnant, even in the first few weeks. And so that 3.3 million uh, women number, that's like binders full of women. <laughs> it um, it basically says that is the number of women in the U.S. The CD estimates have stopped using birth control but haven't stopped using uh, or haven't stopped drinking. Right. So those two things could conceivably cross over for a couple of weeks and in which it could lead to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And they're saying like, despite, you know, what you hear that, you know, a glass of wine isn't, isn't bad for you or every once in a while or something while you're pregnant. Apparently the literature combined says, no, there's really no safe level of alcohol to drink while you're pregnant. Well, here's the deal is they don't fully know. Like I did some digging because I know, Outside of the United States, there's is generally a more relaxed attitude, mm-hmm. at least in some countries. Um, it says here that's, uh, and this is from an NPR article, a uh, 2015 study found that alcohol consumption ranged from 20% to 80% uh, in Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, and the UK. <laughs> uh, sometimes it was just like a glass of champagne at a special event. Uh-huh. Sometimes it was a glass of wine and uh, – once a night or once a week in the third trimester. Sometimes it was 20 cc's of golden grain injected <laughs> into their neck. Um, so this uh, one group did uh, Luisa Zucolo. She's a health uh, epidemiologist at Bristol. Uh-huh. Did a study recently, and she found that consuming up to 32 grams of alcohol per week, that's two to three drinks, was associated with a 10% increased risk of preterm birth. Yeah. Only. Um, okay. But here's the deal is in America, they basically say, listen, we don't know for sure the threshold of exactly when and how and at what point in the pregnancy these effects can occur. Mm-hmm. But we do know this. If you don't drink, you have a 100 percent chance of not having a risk of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Right. And why don't we all just err on the side of caution 
and wait for that nine months. Well, but that's like a ticklish situation for us dudes to be in, Chuck, because, you know, it's, it's a, that's a real drag. Just, just be like, just don't drink for nine months. I'm going to go have a beer. But you don't drink, okay? Sure. Some husbands quit drinking as a show of support or cut I, back. I think that's, that is definitely what should be done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people should do what that works best for them. But um, Sure, but if your wife is going to not – if your wife or your SO is not going to drink um, while she's pregnant, then you should not either. <laughs> I hear your take on that. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure. I'll say it again at the end. I'll circle back up. Uh, my take is people should do what works best for them as a couple. Right. right. Um, and I will also say this. When you adopt a kid, uh, neither one of you have to stop drinking. <laughs> right. Problem solved. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, with marijuana during pregnancy, uh, they don't know for sure um, exactly how that uh, – can affect cognitive impairment, but they do think that they have found some uh, cognitive impairment results from fetal exposure. Right. But again, and- they don't have like thresholds. Um, I, I mean, I've heard some doctors say we would rather uh, a mother smoke a little pot if she has a lot of anxiety or potentially depression during her pregnancy than hopping on pills or having a drink. But mm, yeah. again, uh, that's not like some official doctor recommendation. It's no. very anecdotal. It's like an anonymous comment on from a, a doctor who will go unnamed. <laughs> exactly. So um, the, I also saw that some uh, some studies have found um, they have linked low birth weight to marijuana use in pregnancy too. Right. So, yeah, the upshot is, is uh, what did you say? The couples should do what, what they think is best? Uh, well, I mean, that's my rule. Your rule is everyone follow my rule. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, there's there's also um, a big distinction between pot and uh, drinking, Chuck, when it comes to crime, too, like a big one. This is probably the clearest line of all. And kind of funny. Yeah. Well, not funny. But the predicted result is a little amusing to me because they did find in 2014 that the average uh, marijuana user, as far as uh, partner violence, intimate partner violence goes, um, is actually lower overall than people who don't even drink or do drink. It's lower than everybody. Right, right. So, like, if you were just a normie, a normal who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, you're like a Ned Flanders type Statistically speaking, in the first nine years of marriage, you're more likely to commit violence against your partner than a person who smokes pot regularly. (laughs) It's hilarious. It is funny. Like, you got to look at it in a certain light and just kind of divorce yourself from the uh, partner violence thing. Yeah, I mean, nothing about that is funny. I just picture, like, the the stoned person on the couch being like, well, no, of course I'm not going to get mad and hit you. Right. Why well, I, I ought to – I forgot what I ought to do. Yeah. So on the other end of the spectrum, alcohol is linked to a, a surprising and alarming amount of crime. Yes. The Department of Justice says that alcohol is a factor in 40% of the violent crime in the United States. And there was a survey – Of 2 million convicted offenders who were currently in jail at the time of the survey, 37% said they were drinking at the time they committed their crime. Yeah, I bet for partner violence, too, I bet it's way higher even. 
It is. That was the highest one was um, men drinking, but also women drinking, too. Um, They had a higher. Those are, I believe, were the two highest incidences of intimate partner violence in the first nine years of marriage. If the show Cops can anecdotally tell a tale, (laughs) is that 100 percent of the home visits where the husband and wife are both bombed and pushing each other around is uh, that's kind of like every every episode of Cops, basically. It's definitely got that one. I still watch that show every now and then. Emily gets so upset at me. It's on all the time still. I know. It's like Golden Girls. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes I'll catch a little bit of one and just remember like, oh, I used to watch this in college and think it was a hoot. Mm-hmm. And then part of me is like so depressing, uh, so depressing watching it that I can't even, you know, watch for five minutes. Man, I was um, – I tweeted the other day that I used to think – um, humanity was on the whole, like generally decent and good. And then I started watching a lot of forensic files. Yeah, I should watch that. I don't think you should, man. It really will kind of change the way you look at people that people do some really bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really depressing. You just kind of lose a, a measure of faith in humanity because the, the way that the show presents it too is so like, matter of fact, this happened and, you know, this person picked up a, a rock and beat their their friend over the head and then took their five dollars. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. You wanna take a break? We yeah. need to reset, I think. Yeah, let's take a break and we'll um we'll talk about driving uh while intoxicated right after this. Uh, all right, we're back. Um, here's the deal with driving drunk and stoned. Um, for sure, you shouldn't be doing either. We're not endorsing either one. But the statistics and studies roundly say that when you're drinking, you are way more likely to be like, oh, I can take this curve. It's 80. Oh, I'm fine to drive. Mm-hmm. And people that are stoned that are like, I need to be super careful because I'm a little high right now, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be extra careful and drive even slower than I should. Yeah. Like, that is what the studies show. Yeah, the, and the differences are so pronounced that you can look at fatal accident statistics and see that in some in some areas, the legalization of pot has actually brought the number of traffic deaths down in those states. Yeah. And they think that the reason why is because people are drinking less and smoking pot more and that when you smoke pot you are something of a you're not a safer driver necessarily. Although some studies show that you actually are safer than than people who aren't impaired. That's that's pretty rare. Yeah. But you're a safer impaired driver for sure. But I think you've said something very very true. You shouldn't be driving stoned or drunk. That's right. just because you're you're taking your own life in your hands. You're also taking the lives of everybody else out on the road on your hands and shame on you for that. Yeah, but I found it very interesting that some of these studies like roundly say that a person um stoned is way more likely to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm stoned. 
uh, and I need to be super careful. And a person drinking will say, I'm fine. Give me the keys. I'm fine. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So like that's, there's two different ways that being impaired and driving affect you, whether you're stoned and whether you're, um, drunk. Yes. And what tends to happen is if you're drunk and you're, you're driving, you, typically act more impulsively, more aggressively, more recklessly, which are three things that really go poorly with driving. Yes. So you're going to tailgate more. You're going to pass people more. You're going to speed more. Um, you're going to just be an aggressive driver, but also one whose reaction times are not as good as they are normally, right? Right. When you're stoned, however... The, the general idea among scientists who are just beginning to study this stuff over the last few years is that you tend to overestimate how impaired you are. Where you've smoked some pot, you feel stoned, now you've gotten behind the wheel of the car, and you're a little freaked out, to be frank. You are worried that you're going to get pulled over, that you're going to cause a wreck, and so you're actually overcompensating for your impairment. Because you're overestimating the amount of impairment you have. And so you're going to drive slower. Yeah. <laughs> like much slower sometimes. Yeah. That, the, the one dude in the article said the, the joke is Cheech and Chong driving 20 on the expressway. Yeah. There's a study that just is hilarious to me that, that in driving simulators, these, these people who were conducting the study had to remind the stone drivers to keep up to the speed limit. <laughs> Like they kept dropping below the speed limit. They also tend to give more distance between the next car and their car, even when compared to, to non-impaired drivers. Yeah, and the one thing uh, that I found remarkable was that when they did the um, simulated experiments, mm-hmm. people under the influence of marijuana performed worse than they did in the real driving experiment. So in other words, in the room with the simulator, they might have goofed up some, but when they actually got behind the wheel, they, again, turned on some switch that was like, all right, got to be super careful. Right. So interesting. Yeah, and, and even more to the point, you they, if you take the individual things that, that driving requires, like coordination, paying attention, reaction time, if you test those things individually outside of the context of driving, people who smoke pot routinely do worse um, on those things. But again, yeah, when they get behind the wheel, it's like, it's serious time for, for people who smoke pot. That, so the thing about that though is that the studies find that that's true up to a certain point. Yeah. That when you pass a certain level of impairment, then all of a sudden your chances of being responsible for a fatal accident go up dramatically. Yeah. And what they found is that that, that point correlates possibly to um, a, a THC content in your blood of about five parts per billion or five nanograms per liter. Yes. Which is very, it's a very controversial number. It's a controversial amount. Well, and it's um, at this point like a breathalyzer. We did a show on breathalyzers. It was, boy, that was a tough one. Yeah, remember how complicated those things are? Yeah, that was very technical and tough. But there's like a a, a magical crystal involved in them. <laughs> but with the breathalyzer, like you can tell when someone is literally drunk at that moment. Um, with with marijuana, you're doing blood and urine tests uh, that shows that you have marijuana in your system. If you are a heavy marijuana user, you could be stone cold sober and show marijuana in your system. Yeah. So they don't really have a foolproof way of 
testing, like pulling someone off the street uh, from behind the wheel of a car and seeing if they were stoned at that moment. So the and that's one of the reasons why some states are starting to adopt that five parts per billion right threshold because apparently studies find that if you're a regular smoker and you got a bunch of THC in your body that's accumulated but you haven't smoked recently mm-hmm. you're not going to be over five parts per billion that's the thinking yeah okay and then the other one is that 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 statistic that says that your chances of being in a fatal crash increase dramatically at five over five parts per billion. So that's why some states are adopting it. But some other studies, especially ones out of Europe, are like, whoa, that is way too high a limit. It should be more like one part per billion. Yeah, um, I think they're trying to land on the right number. They definitely are. I think Sweden is adopting a one part per billion um, limit. And they're apparently famous for being really strict about impaired driving. So they kind of set the trend on the one end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. whereas the U.S. kind of edges toward the other end of the spectrum. Like with blood alcohol content, I think the legal limit in most states is 0.08%, which is about, I think for like a 180-pound man, that's like three or four drinks in an hour. And I mean, three or four drinks in an hour and getting behind a car, that is a lot. You're not driving very well. It's like an arbitrarily high number if you really think about it. Yeah. Part of the other problem, too, with testing for whether somebody's impaired um, by pot or reached some sort of some limit or threshold is that there's no... um, there's no real reliable way for testing it on the side of the road, including that roadside um, field sobriety test. Yeah. Where they make you stand on one foot. They make you um, walk heel to toe and then turn around. And I think there's a third part to it, too. And that's actually really good at catching drunk people. It catches like 88% of people who are drunk at the time. But it only catches like 30% of people who are stoned. So the cops are starting to come a- up against this. These new laws where you're allowed to smoke pot, but how much is too much to get behind the wheel of a car and there's no real guidance and they don't really have any way of testing. And again, like you said, in 10 years, all of this will be resolved. But um, for the time being, it's kind of like the Wild West as far as driving while impaired by pot legislation is concerned. Yeah, I got pulled over coming home from college to Atlanta one time. Uh, only time I've ever had like a field sobriety test done on me. Mm-hmm. And he flat out asked me, he's like, Mr. Bryant, have you been smoking marijuana after he put me through it? Because he did the thing where you follow the finger oh, with yeah. your, with your eyeballs. Yeah, that's the third part. And I think it's supposed, I'm not sure what's supposed to happen. Like your eyeball twitches or something once it reaches the edge. I think it bounces up and down while it's going left to right. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. All I know is. He told me, you know, keep your head forward and follow it with your eyes. And I turned my head and followed his finger. <laughs> and I was just, I was nothing. I was sober as a judge and I was just nervous because I'd never sure. been pulled over on the side of the road and told to walk a line. Yeah. And he finally just asked me. I was like, no, like 19. I was just scared. Yeah. And eventually he was like, all right, get in your VW Beetle and drive home. <laughs> did you, did you take the tack of um, crying to get out of the ticket? No, I cried on the inside. Okay. <laughs> which, you know. I don't think he noticed. It was just interesting. I've never, you know, that's the only time in my life I've ever been pulled over and given that test. And it was 
even if you're sober, it's a little nerve-wracking. Sure, yeah. Well, it's, just, it's like that white coat syndrome where yeah. your blood pressure goes up at the doctor's office because you're anxious for being at the doctor's office. I know. I remember going, like, in my brain, heel-toe, heel-toe. <laughs> right. I was like, wait a minute. This this is no problem. Yeah. I, my balance is never good, officer. wonder if that <laughs> ever works. Or uh, ossifer. Yeah. <laughs> it's always yeah. fun to throw that in, but be totally sober. Right. Just go ahead and sit in the back of that police car after that one. <laughs> so you got anything else? No, I mean, we should point out that, you know, another factor with drinking and driving is, you know, you drink at a bar a lot of times, whereas they think predominantly if you're smoking pot, you're probably in your home, so you're not driving. Um, there are all sorts of other factors that that go into these big, big statistical studies, but we're, we're just at the the eve. We're mere babies, as a country when it comes to marijuana legislation and study. Yeah. I'd be interested to see where it goes. I'll see you in 10 years. Yeah, I'll see you in 10, man. Okay. Well, in the meantime, uh, you can look up, well, there's not this article on how stuff works. You can just look up pot versus alcohol, and it'll bring up a lot of great stuff. We uh, worked off of some stuff from Popular Science, from Slate, from actually there's a How Stuff Works article. Now that I think about it, High Times, L- Live Science, High Times, some good resources out there. Just hit them up. WillieNelson.com. Yep. Uh, and in the meantime, since Chuck said Willie Nelson, it's time for listener mail. Um, this is overlap of podcasts. I don't think I've read this one yet. Uh, Hey, guys, my name is Neil. I enjoy listening to Stuff You Should Know and Stuff You Missed in History Class. And roller skating and long walks on the beach. Sometimes I've heard the same subject get daylight on both of your programs, though. Uh, Very recently, you guys did a Mary Celeste episode. And if I recall, Holly and Tracy did the same story not too long ago. Um, Josh mentioned to Chuck about the woman who painted miniature crime scenes, and so did they. Uh, My question is whether or not we ever swap notes on subjects cross-reference each, uh, cross each other's work. Um, where there might be overlap, it could be nice. Uh, even set up different situations where each podcast looks at the same subject mm-hmm. through a different angle. Uh, anyway, it might be a good thing to introduce to the other podcasts uh, to someone who's not listening to it. Keep up the good work. That is from Neil in Washington, D.C. And Neil, I think uh, we've answered this years ago, but we try... Well, I was about to say we try not to overlap, but no one really pays much attention True. internally in it. It just happens sometimes, and the only time it's ever been like, oh, shoot, is when it's literally within like a few weeks of each other. Mm-hmm. Then we might have wished we would have timed it differently, but we always feel like all the different shows bring different things to the table, and so it's really not a big deal. But we definitely don't check with each other or share notes or anything we're, we're all in our own little bubbles yeah but also i mean if we are aware that one of the other podcasts has already done something like that doesn't preclude us from doing it ourselves and we would probably yeah. mention it if we were aware of it like go check out their version of it too because it's always so different enough that it's usually worth listening to both you know agreed okay well if you want to get in touch with us you can tweet to us there's an official stuff you should know one called sysk podcast I've got my own called Josh Um Clark. I also have a website called areyouseriousclark.com. Uh, Chuck is on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That's facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You can also hit him up on facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Uh, you can send all of us, including Jerry, an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. 
on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 